Well, it looks like you all hated me so much that you've given me this award for it. That it can be about the performance and not the politics. This moment is so much bigger than me. And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. And thank all of you who voted for me. And all of you who didn't, please excuse me. I deserve this. Thank you. And welcome back to this week's episode of Academy Greens. I am also trying not to beat the shit out of my 13-year-old daughter, Joey Gentile. And I could set my watch by my bowels. I'm Brandon Stanwyck. And this is Academy Queens, your LGBT guide through the Academy Awards per decade, per category. And this is the class of 2003. Brandon, has winter hit you yet over there in Baltimore? We had a very brief winter storm yesterday with some snow. And overnight it disappeared. And now it just feels like a chilly fall day. There's no snow whatsoever on the ground even though the forecast was calling for a miniature blizzard that never happened. But I hear Cleveland has been pummeled by snow. Yeah, yeah, winter finally showed up. Um, I, I mean, you've been to my apartment here. I live right next to a 7-Eleven. And it's, it's, it's not so much the snow, but we did get the really, really cold temps. I'm talking to the part where I brought up the 7-Eleven because I need to go get coffee creamer for my coffee right now. And I am drinking it black because I refuse to go outside. Mm. So it's a it's a bit it's it's a bit balmy outside here in Cleveland, right? It's just a bit chilly here down in Maryland. Uh, must be nice. Well, you know it was about time because I was reading that it's like six weeks till spring, but I mean you know what that means here in Cleveland. So spring doesn't exist here. So I was right. like, I wonder, if, I wonder if uh, if uh, winter is ever going to show up. And lo and behold, the week I thought it, boom, there it is. My fault. Yeah, in Cleveland, it's a. Uh... Several months of winter, then about two weeks of nice, and then summer. There's no spring. Yep. Um, but we have a very special guest today, and I want you to get to introducing her in a minute. But I just want to say um, congratulations to you and I. We officially made the announcement uh, as of today of this recording. Our Patreon goes live next week. So by the time everybody hears this, hopefully you're on Patreon with us voting for new episodes. Um, a flat tier $6 a month gets you two bonus episodes per month, plus access to a regular show a day early. And that is from us to you because what? We love you guys. Right. <laughs> and thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> who do we have online with us today? Uh, today we have a very special guest, someone who I've known on Twitter and in the podcasting world for, I guess, a little over a year now. She's a very special person and one of my favorite film reviewers to follow on Twitter. We have with us Bianca Garner, a.k.a. The Film B. B, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm okay, thank you. Uh, I heard that um, old lady Swanage said that you needed some help. So, uh, you know, <laughs> try, to get, try to get the Cold Mountain reference in there. I was going to do an accent, but then i don't want to sort of like subject the listeners to my really bad impressions no so. listen you have to because next week they get my katherine hepburn impression <laughs> I plan on doing all of my uh um, all of my uh paper and check segment in the katherine hepburn voice so please go ahead and give it oh i can't maybe maybe <laughs> in a bit maybe in a bit we'll see i i i have to get into the zone you know i have to uh-huh. like I'm a method actor, so I gotta get go go milk a cow and actually get into the, the <laughs> role. 
Yes. But this is exciting that you're finally here because, believe it or not, for the people listening, we've tried to get you on the show since the, our second season, the 80s. And then we've tried to get you for the 90s and just scheduling on all of our ends did not work out. Yeah, I, I, I apologize for living in the UK. Maybe I should just move to America and then it would be easier for everyone. No, don't even blame it on yourself. Honestly, it's it, between how much Brendan and I put into this, we uh, we have had to turn down a lot of people or reschedule, so we're just glad to finally have you here. Aw, that's so sweet. Yeah. Thank you. I might actually sure. cry. <laughs> <laughs> I might show some emotion. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, Brandon, you said you've been following her for about, what, a since before the podcast or yeah i think it was just be- yeah it was before we started recording because um i used to be in uh involved with a filmotomy uh on twitter and b back then was as well and uh we podcasted together a couple of times and we both wrote for the website um i don't do so much anymore i kind of took a step back from it i know b's doing her own thing which of course will give uh you the opportunity to plug that um, but yeah, I've known B for about a year or so uh, on the internet. Yeah, it's we're virtually best friends now because that's how it works with Twitter. Like, if you follow someone <laughs> you for at least two two di- like two days, you become best friends. Um, I'm into it. Or enemies. Yeah. Oh well, yeah, that's true. I haven't blocked you, so we're good. See? Yeah, that's the there bar. Yeah, there it yeah. is. <laughs> so we had a we had a uh, big night here last night. Um, SAG Awards happened. Um, I feel like everyone's on the same page at this point. Like nothing is too much of a shocker, but it was really really nice to see Parasite take Best Ensemble. Very nice to see that. I really wasn't. Uh, I wasn't surprised, but in a way, I. I did have this awful feeling like it wasn't going to happen. I thought, oh, is it really? It's it's a nice surprise, but um, I was worried it was going to go to like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So. Yeah, I would say it was a pleasant surprise. Um, I still say it would. It's a surprise to me because even though I wanted it to happen and I knew it was possible and it made perfect sense for it to happen, I did not have my hopes up that SAG would actually do it. So hearing the announcement that it did in fact go to Parasite, I was pleasantly surprised and uh, joyful for it. So I think it went to the right film. Uh, The cast of Parasite is outstanding. Uh, It's Mm. a perfectly assembled ensemble, and they play off of each other so well and make that movie work. Uh, So much of what makes that movie work is that cast. So I think it was a well-earned honor. I definitely agreed. I don't know if you guys would agree on this one, though, but um, I don't know, maybe... I think the biggest surprise of the night actually came from the TV category, and that was Sam Rockwell winning over um, Jarrell Jerome and uh, Jared Harris. I had Jared Harris uh, pinned to win that, but Sam Rockwell's win there seemed to come out of nowhere for SAG. You know what's funny is when I heard he won at SAG, it took me a minute to remember what he even <laughs> could have been nominated for. <laughs> like if you would have said, if you would have said Michelle Williams. Yeah, if you had said Michelle Williams, I would have known instantly Fosse Verdon. But hearing Sam Rockwell, I was like, wait, what was he in this year? <laughs> and then it hit me. I was like, oh, he was also on that show with Michelle Williams. He's the other title <laughs> character. 
the other titular role. Uh, well, um, one thing we ask our guests every time we have them on, B, why 2003? Why join us for this? And uh, you picked it. I like odd numbers. Well, I just 2003 is a really interesting year for like the Oscars. I mean, I was looking on Wikipedia, and that Oscar like poster that they have is horrible. It's mm. just disgusting. Whoever designed that, I, I feel so. I won't actually know. I feel I feel mean. I won't say anything like that. But so, but seriously, it's just horrible and ugly but at the same time I kind of like it and I think this year was such a, a great year in terms of like Lord of the Rings just winning everything and it was like the year that I started to take attention, pay attention to the Oscars because um, I was like 13 so mm. I was like oh Oscars that's cool uh, I'm going to be, I like film now that's my thing and you know, mm-hmm. here we are, like many years later, and film is still my thing. So you know, that's I think it. I think that perfectly beautiful shade in the beginning about that poster, you are gonna fit right right in there. <laughs> so welcome to it, Academy it's re- Queen. <laughs> it's really bad, isn't it? It's not just me. Like no, it's, it's looks, so bad. I it looks like you know, like um, when you you younger and you had like the uh, word. And you could get like the little um, images that you could pop into like your PowerPoint presentation or whatever. Mm-hmm. It looks like that. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's so weird, and I don't get why they went with that. It's just like kind of yeah. What is it? I, was, <laughs> I just keep looking at it and just. In... You know what it is? It's a oh. choice. That's what it is. It's a choice. <sighs> But was um, that the best one they could have gone with? That's what I want to know. Like, what were the others really, really, really bad? But that's the best that they had. Can this whole episode just be you tearing down this poster? Because I love it. So... <laughs> I, I don't mean to be just mean. I, because people put work into that. But, you know, I, I could do better. I, and I... Hell yeah, you could. Maybe I'll design the next one, you know? Do it. Do it. And then and then at the Academy on Twitter, hashtag B for poster. We got you. Uh, perfect. That's my next my next thing. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, 2003, before we dive in, uh, two fun facts about the ceremony, actually, from the unofficial uh, Academy Awards guide. Um, speaking of being 13, uh, at 13, whale riders Keisha Castle-Hughes becomes the youngest nominee for Best Actress, who will be dethroned in less than a decade by Covenjane Wallace. Also, Charlize Theron and Jaimon Bunsu uh, become the first African-born actors to be nominated for an Oscar in the same year. So congratulations to all three of those nominees. All right, are we ready? Yep. Let us dive in. Your Oscar nominees for Best Supporting Actress in 2003 were... Sharae Agdaflu in House of Sand and Fog. Patricia Clarkson in Pieces of April. Marsha Gay Harden in Mystic River. 
Renee Zellweger in Cold Mountain. Okay. Let's start off with uh, Shorey Agashlu playing Nadi in House of Sin and Fog. As of today, this is her sole nomination. Going into Oscar night, she kind of stood a chance here to win. Um, she won the Independent Spirit Award for Best Supporting, won the LA Film Critics Association Award, won the New York Film Critics Association Award, but then was nominated for the National Society of Film Critics. So she missed a couple of the big um, award ceremonies. However, she still kind of stood a chance here. Um, in House of Sand and Fog, again, Shorey plays Nadi, who, I guess the best way to describe her, she's a victim. She is an, uh, an oppressed victim through her husband and her culture, being so new to America. Um, and she kind of is also a victim to this weird butterfly effect that her husband gets pulled into due to this house that they bought that belonged to Jennifer Connelly's character, Kathy, that was wrongfully taken from her. They buy this house, becomes an investment. Um, and slowly, Nadi is the one who kind of understands what's happening. But by the time it fully hits her, it's too late. Um, B, because you are our guest, why don't you start us off on what you think about Sheree as Nadi? Well, I really need to see this film again. Um, I watched it ages ago in film studies class back, like, over a decade ago. And that makes me feel really old. Um, <laughs> uh, I I remember her performance being very strong, and I I'm glad to see that she's still she's like that film sort of put her back on the map, and she went on she's going on to like have such a great career. She's in one of my favorite TV shows, The Expanse, um, which I love. If I'm just gonna. Like shout that out now. If you're looking for something to watch, it's over on Amazon, so go watch it. Uh, and yeah, it's it's kind of a surprise, uh, surprise that she was in the lineup for me. I don't know, uh, but I it's in when you see like who it it was a really interesting year. Like there was some really interesting sort of performances that were like it was all sort of the range was there in terms of like the type of acting and the type of genre and uh, I so yeah I just remember her being like it's a bit of an odd film to me I have to go back and rewatch it but I remember her being just so much depth to her character if, if you know what I mean like she just brings so. I think it's how she's her expressions, like it's almost like you could see like her whole life being sort of expressed in in just how she she sort of portrays her emotions. If that makes sense. It does. Okay, I'm trying to word it properly. Like it's so hard to sort of like recall a film that you haven't seen for over a decade <laughs> understood understood uh brandon what about you so i'm pretty fond of this performance um i think she gives a devastating little performance here um you really see this inner struggle that she's going through the entire time where 
she wants to be uh, autonomous and fight back against her husband and culture as best she can. Yet at the same time, she is still in this predicament where, in a, in a sense, she has to be subservient to a certain extent to her husband because that is what ex- is expected of her by case of where they're from and how they were raised and how they view a marriage. And yet she's not entirely um, comfortable with just letting her husband walk all over her and control her and completely call all the shots on his own. She also has a bit of an external struggle because she is trying to make a home. She's trying to be what she feels is the ideal spouse, uh, the ideal wife, based on their culture. And uh, her husband acquires this house and they begin to... They move in and begin to make renovations to make it their perfect home, at least temporarily, because I believe their plan is to sell it for more money than they bought it for and move elsewhere. But they're at least trying to make it into a um, an impressive home for the time being. And then this case comes along where it turns out the previous homeowner, played by Jennifer Connelly, uh, was perhaps wrongfully removed from the property, and she has a case for why the home should revert back to her. And so um, Nadi is struggling to hold on to the physical house that they've just um, acquired. So um, it's a pretty devastating performance that does not end very well for the character. I don't want to give away too much because I don't think this is a very widely seen movie outside of you know the real Oscar um enthusiasts but um if this is a movie that people have not seen i highly recommend it uh, not only just for her performance but the movie as a whole is quite strong and very captivating and um she is one of the highlights of it in my opinion yeah i would i would definitely echo that sentiment um i i've seen this before and i remember really liking the film i actually just watched this this morning um, I revisited it because I just felt like I needed to, in the sense of really grasping the story. Like I remembered Charade, but I couldn't remember the details of the story. And it is exhausting. Like I don't know if you guys have ever read the book, but it really made me want to read the book. Mm. Um, and uh, this movie also too came out fresh after the 9-11 attacks here into the world um so for here in the states i have to remember re-watching it what how how brown people were treated mm. so fresh after that terrorist attack i mean even how they're treated still today but i remember like i grew up with two police officers for parents and while i did not grow up in a with racist parents i do remember snark comments about Muslims and Middle Eastern people due to the 9-11 attacks. And I think that was out of fear. So I, you know, I, I, I look back on that in sorrow and I watch this today and I'm just like, cause there, there's something, there's something that happens in this movie near the end. And I, I, this is definitely one I don't want to spoil either that really I had to stop watching it for a second this morning and pause it and go, Oh yeah, this came out at that time. So I think the movie is super effect, effectful 
I don't know if that's the word I want to use or if that's the word right now, effective, effective in that um, manner. Now, Sheree's performance, due to thinking all that about how the culture is for um, Iranians, makes sense. Um, I think it's really, really beautiful in the most lotus style way like lotus has blossomed into this big Mm. flower because she starts off so small and near the end she's just she's a tour de force and i definitely clap to that one i think it's a beautiful performance for sure have you guys read the book no i want to now but the way you described her as a lotus like a lotus performer that's like such a beautiful way to describe it and i think you'll you thank you No, you really, like, captured that and summed it up in such a a lovely, poetic way. Yeah. I have not read the book either, but it's kind of funny that you mentioned wanting to read it it after watching the movie, because I felt the same way. Mm. If I remember correctly, this book won um, one of the major awards, if not the Pulitzer, one of the other big ones. So it was a pretty widely regarded novel in its time that it was published. So I'm sure it would be a very fascinating book. I think I've also seen it on lists of books made into movies that um, were listed as unadaptable at the time. Mm -hmm. One of those books that's written in a very unique style that some people uh, thought that it would never successfully be made into a movie because of how it's written. So I wonder how that actually looks on the page. I'm very curious. Yeah, and it's one of those things, too, that, CB, I can't comment on the UK with their, um, like, obviously, I know what's happening with Brexit and everything. We don't really get into politics here, but I think it's it's worthy for this talk, for this film. So I don't know what it happens with, like, the police and your civilians and how they're, you know, that relationship is. But here, there's a big issue with police brutality and, and the abuse of power. And this movie definitely shows that. It shows abuse of white power abuse of police power and it takes a person of colored police officer to be like cut it the fuck out Mm. and i think i think for this film being almost 20 years old is still just as significant in the states as it is ever before yeah i I completely agree i i really need to go and watch it again um because i just remember it being a film that uh, I found very hard to watch, mm-hmm. and I like I couldn't shake shake it off after watching it. It was sort of like played on my mind for a long time, and just talking, hearing, like talking about it is just like rem- like put me back like a decade and back when I was like thirteen years old and what was going on at the time and everything. So. It's, uh, and and then like it's nearly twenty years later, and we're still sort of haven't really progressed at all. If anything, we're sort of going backwards. <laughs> so yeah. it's it's crazy, but um, yeah, I definitely I will go, definitely read the book because um, I I do like to sort of compare films and with the books. And, uh, did we although, did we just create a book club that we all have to like, <laughs> color now on for this first one? That sounds like fun. I would love yeah. that a book club. Oh, would be should. a great idea. I love a good book club. Film Twitter book club. Here we come. <laughs> I wonder if the novel is just as devastating as the movie because it's oh, sure. it's kind of startling watching this film in 2020 
and knowing it came out in 2003 and also knowing it still could have been made today and it would play out relatively the same. It's, it's kind of um, upsetting. I wish she was just in more things. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, I love her as an actress and she's just, uh, like, she plays really strong characters. Like, I love the type of characters that she plays. And I honestly wish she was in more things. And it's a real shame that she isn't. Um, but, yeah, oh, just, she, like you say, she's only had one one nomination. Mm-hmm. That's just so insane to me. There's just, when you, like, say that, it just frustrates me so much. <laughs> but that's the Under- industry, industry for you, so. It, it is. It was nice to see her. She popped up on Oscar's red carpet the year Brie Larson won a couple years ago, so it was nice to see her back on the red carpet for that. Um, but yeah, she deserves to be more things. All right, moving on. We have Patricia Clarkson as Joy Burns in Pieces of April. This is Patricia's sole nomination so far. Um, <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute. Um, going into this, she had nominations from the Golden Globes, the Critics' Choice, the Independent Spirit Awards, and SAG. And then she wins National Board of Review, and she wins National Society of Film Critics for supporting. In Pieces of April, again, Patricia plays Joy, who is the mother to the Katie Holmes character, who is dealing with the turbulent relationship that she has with her daughter, going with her family to her daughter's apartment in Manhattan for Thanksgiving, and is also dealing with the effects of cancer and what it did to her family. And Brandon, take this one away. So Patricia Clarkson is just a treasure of film, uh, particularly in the independent film world. Uh, she pops up in so many um, contemporary auteur films uh, and television. Uh, she's had a bit of a resurgence in television as of late. And she won, I think, two Emmys for Six Feet Under because she was fabulous on that show. And she is just a godsend. Um, Pieces of April, though, I don't know if you how you guys feel about the movie. I think the movie's um, not very good. And she's one of the film's um, saving graces. Um, She's doing what she can in that movie. Um, She's creating, you know, a very uh, dimensional, fully rounded person as best as she can. Although I don't know how well written it is for her, but she seems to be turning turning it into something. And she gives a very... um, I guess you can say haunting performance in a way. It's sort of chilling. Um, she's sort of distant. When we first meet her, um, you get the impression that she has just come back mentally, possibly physically, from something traumatic. And we're not exactly sure what that is um, at the beginning. Um, and she really makes you invested as, a, as an audience member, I would say, or at least I was pulled in. I had seen this movie a long time ago, and I didn't really remember too much about it other than the basic premise of a family traveling to New York to attend their black sheep daughter's Thanksgiving dinner. Um, but Patricia Clarkson gives a very um, fascinating performance in this otherwise sort of sloppy film, I will say. I don't know if people love this movie or not, but I was not a fan. Uh, B, how do you feel about Patricia Clarkson in it? Um, I'm kind of like 
on the same page with you. Uh, I remember when I was young, like pieces of A4 I thought was really, really great. Like, like when I was thirty, you know, I, I thought, mm. oh, this is such an edgy film, and it's like, oh, I love it, it's so quirky, and all that sort of stuff, you know. Um, and then I kind of started trying to watch it again, and it just I kept losing interest. <laughs> Maybe it's because I'm like more mature now. I just found, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I could see what they were trying to go for with that movie, but I don't think it worked. But she's, yeah, it, it, I think she's the best thing in it. You know, um, she kind of bring tries to bring it up a couple of levels with her sort of performance, but the movie is just, it's not aged well. <laughs> Well, I have a thing. I have this real thing about watching early two thousands movies, like the technology. And mm. does that make sense to people? Like when I see people using like flip phones and stuff, and like oh, it's cringeworthy. It is, and I don't know why. Like I have no problem like watching films in the eighties or the nineties, but early two thousands, I just look at it and I think. The fashion and the hair and the weird, out-of-date technology—it it all looks so, it looks so old and naff. <laughs> and that, so, that doesn't really talk anything about her performance, though, does it? It's <laughs> 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 just me going on about how how weird it is watching stuff that I remember growing up with. But no, she she's I. Yeah, you sort of hit the nail on the head. Like, she's the best part of that movie, I think. And it certainly wouldn't be as good if it wasn't for her. Like, I think it, the movie needed her to be in that role. So, yeah, that's just I... just my sorry. It went on a rant all about weird early 2000s technology <laughs> no you're good i was actually gonna say I, I think i think you're definitely both right like she's the best thing about this movie and i know this is gonna be kind of like shady but like i don't know if that's saying much for this as a whole um pieces of april it seems to be a film thesis project film um it looks like it had the budget of like dental floss and half a starburst <laughs> wrapper. Um, I don't know what was going on here, other than it was definitely an ultra low budget SAG agreement. Um, and this is this movie was shot and directed by Lucas Hedges' father, so there's that. Um, listen, Patricia Clarkson, we love her. She's a Yale drama school vet. She. She, you watch her in something like Sharp Objects and she tears your heart out, but Easy A even, her comedy is amazing. What is this? What is this? She doesn't know she doesn't have much to work with, but it's like, I, uh, ugh. <laughs> it feels odd, doesn't it? Like, it does. The, like, that, you see those films, the lineup of those films, and then you got pieces of April. Like, okay. Right. Yeah, I mean, we're gonna talk about thirteen here in a, in, a, in a few moments, but at least like that movie looked like there was actual at least twenty dollars to it. <laughs> this, I don't know. Am I? 
I just, I don't know. I don't think she did anything here. I don't see how this got a nomination. It's really sad to me that this is her only nomination because Clarkson is a, a, a Marvel. This is bad. This is bad, bad, bad. It makes you wonder what kind of dirt Lucas Hedge's father had on Patricia Clarkson to blackmail ah. her into being in this movie. Yeah. And it's funny, too, because I remember uh, Katie Holmes being on TRL promoting this movie and it and they were trying to set it up as katie holmes's oscar like her oscar bait film oh and, yeah. even, and even then i'm like no <laughs> no no oh, this is bad i don't like this one at all yeah i'd have to imagine this just might be some love of patricia clarkson uh, mixed in with maybe a little bit of afterglow from people who thought she was more worthy uh, for her performance in far from heaven um, I'm not sure. There could there's probably a number of reasons, but um, I'm glad Patricia Clarkson has an Oscar nomination to her name because she is, you know, that type of actress who deserves it. It's just unfortunate that it's for this film. I oh. feel like I was just gonna say, like Pieces of April is like the film that you sort of put on to torture people. I don't know, like some sort of weird saw, yeah, um, like booby trap maybe. I don't know, but <laughs> I want to play I, a game. <laughs> yeah they really just should have renamed this to pieces of shit but that's just me um moving on we have renee zellweger as ruby Hayes in cold mountain this is renee's third of now four nominations and her first win she was the one to beat uh at this uh in this season she wins the golden globe the bafta the critics choice and the sag awards so she wins all the major televised awards, but doesn't get any love from like the critics, like New York, National Society, nothing. So that's an interesting little play there. Um, in Cold Mountain, again, Renee plays Ruby, who I kind of joke is the, as the Civil War's first lesbian. She is a backwoods woman who really can stand her own. She knows how to do everything from build a house to herd sheep to catching raising raising catching and cooking her own meal and she kind of comes uh to fruition through this friendship with nicole kidman's character during a really dark and lonely time in the civil war um so b because you had such a great cold mountain-esque possible <laughs> accent start us off with what you think about renee in this film i i really like her in this movie i think she um I think she's having a lot of fun in the role. Like, every, I I think everyone else is taking it so seriously. Like, but she just seems to be having a good time, if that makes sense. And mm-hmm. I love, like, her introduction. And then she just, like, gets a rooster and, like, pulls its head off. I mean, that's just, like, as, as introductions go, character introductions, that's the best character introduction ever. Um, and it, I, and like you say, she's just so hands on and does like see something broken, so she go fix it, and she's just like up there doing things. And I wish I was like that. I wish I knew how to do those things. I feel like I'm completely useless. I can't even change a light bulb. And here, she, I mean, I know it's a different time, but I feel she feels like grounded in the world that the film is set in like i can fully invest in in her and i 
you know, I I like her performance. I know why people have kind of mocked it, but I think it's it's just fun. I think she's a she's a she's just yeah. I I don't like it when she tries to be too serious. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I like I like Judy. It's a good film, but I like it when she's been a bit fun and doing, you know, pulling rooster heads off. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree with a lot of what uh, B is saying. It's hard to not like Ruby. Like she is a very independent, um, get it done, very knowledgeable person, and I I concur. You do kind of envy her ability in a way because while watching the movie, I was also thinking I could never do a fraction of the things that she does. Like, I can barely keep potted plants alive. How how am I going to farm when the apocalypse happens? And she's just, you know, so um, smart in her own right. And she basically keeps Nicole Kidman alive. I mean, Nicole Kidman probably would have died if it weren't for Ruby. So uh, it's hard to really not like the character. It's sort of designed to be that sort of, um, that sort of character the audience can grab onto and... Uh, wants to be and wants to get to know in that sort of way. Um, mm-hmm. I see why people hate on the win. Um, it's a role that you could say Renee Zellweger is not taking herself that seriously, or at least it doesn't seem like she's taking herself that seriously. There's an ease to this performance in a way. And I don't want to say that Renee's just phoning it in here or just, you know, doing a paint by numbers kind of performance. It just feels like a very lived in, this is the way it is, this is how I do things kind of person. Like Renee knows who Ruby is and she just goes into this character's life and she owns it. Um, but the but the character and her role in the story are not that um, heart-wrenching. And I think for a lot of people, it feels sort of frivolous. And... Um, I don't think that's exactly fair to Renee Zellweger, but I see why a lot of people um, would not be too fond of this performance. It, she is the comedic relief of this movie. If I, that's how it, you know, that's how I view her in this in this role. I think she wins here for a comedic performance in a love drama or a dramatic love story. I think her role is the most entertaining in the film, and I definitely understand why she won but i also understand why people don't like this because it almost seems too easy in a way and i know that's weird because i always defend comedy as being harder but this is just one of those roles where it's blatantly written on the page what is to happen and i think that's why people get upset with this win is because it's too blatantly written like it almost feels like she's not being challenged i will say too though and I know I was not the only one shocked by last night's Sagwin with Renee, but this like podunk southern accent that she literally was on full force display last night, that is her actual voice, sounds more authentic to the southern accent than she's trying to do in Cold Mountain, which I find a little weirdly funny. But I mean, yeah, it's uh it's not bad by any means, and it's definitely uh not you know, anything that I would be pissed about 
Um, but I think she's definitely my favorite thing about this movie. Um, I actually dreaded rewatching this, just knowing <laughs> that I would have to go through all the June Law bullshit in this movie. Uh-huh. And I, yeah, she is definitely the highlight of this film, and it's not bad. I, I actually really like it. Yeah, I think she makes it look easy, and that's why it rubs some people the wrong way. I don't buy that it was an easy performance. I think Renee Zellweger is just a talented person who is able to take a character, like you said, who's written very flatly. There's not a whole lot of subtext to this character besides the little backstory we get with her father. There's not a, a whole lot of depth to this character, at least it doesn't appear as such. But she's able to take it and just completely make a believable character out of it. So I can see why some people say she was just, you know, along for the ride and her prior nominations were working in her favor for her narrative to go ahead and take it. But I don't think she, I don't think Renee Zellweger deserves all the flack that she has received for this one. Yeah, I think, I think it's kind of mean to just sort of like say that like, oh, it's just because of the previous nominations and stuff because it's just not, she's clearly not sleepwalking through that role she's really you could see like she's fully committed to it and i I wish we had more sort of comedic roles being recognized um by the academy Uh, and uh more horror as well would be nice as well but Mm -hmm. um yeah no she's i i like i like her and i think she's makes this film a lot more watchable like um oh i i don't get the nicole kidman's accent it's all over the place i can't just get i don't know what she's trying to do but it's just not working and i'm I'm sorry nicole kidman yeah since you mentioned nicole kidman i find it funny when people make fun of renee zellweger in cold mountain when nicole kidman is right there and i feel like (laughs) nicole kidman's performance is actually worse than renee zellweger's Oh yeah. yeah, oh yeah, and I always yeah. get Natalie Portman's in this movie. Always for like ten I minutes. Know. It's so weird. She just pops up. I was like, oh, yeah. oh there. I Between her and Jenna Malone, I'm like, who else is hidden in this fucking movie? <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman. <laughs> oh yeah. Um. Well, I was just gonna say, do you think she actually pulled a, a like a rooster's head off a rooster? Was that like? I think PETA would have lost their minds if that was real. <laughs> so I, I doubt it was real. But um, I believe Renee Zellweger could do it if she tried. I I, I hope so, because I just hope she was method as fuck. And it was like, you know what? YOLO. <laughs> oh so. my god. <laughs> PETA, at me, what? Um, moving on, we have Holly Hunter as Melanie Freeland, also known as Mel in the movie. In the movie 13. This is our end of our Holly Hunter tour because this is her fourth of four nominations as of now. Um, going into Oscar night, nothing but nominations from Golden Globe, BAFTA, Chris Choice, and SAG. In 13, again, Holly plays Mel, who is the mother of Evan Rachel Wood's character, who she's watching self-destruct, and it's up to Mel to save her before, bum, 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 all hope is lost. Um, Brandon. What do you think about Holly Hunter, your winner for 1987 in uh, 13? Well, uh, since you uh, mentioned broadcast news, I'll say that I much prefer her in broadcast news than I do in 13. Um, This was my first time watching 13. It was never really on my radar 
growing up. Uh, it never seemed like I was the you know the target audience for it, so I just never got around to it, I guess. And so I watched it for the first time in preparation for this episode. And um, I think she gives, you know, a very passionate Holly Hunter style performance, but I don't find myself all that fascinated by the character. Um, it just feels like a concerned mother role that Holly Hunter brings her signature charm and way of speaking to. But it, when the movie's over, I'm not exactly putting it at the top of my list for Holly Hunter's best performances. I thought she did a fine job uh, doing exactly what the role called for and adding her own little flavor to it. But ultimately, I thought it was just um, an all right performance in a movie that I honestly didn't care for that much. I have sort of similar feelings uh, when it comes to 13 and Pieces of April, actually. So um wasn't that big a fan of it. Yeah, I, you're kind of echoing the same sort of thoughts that I'm having. Like that film was like that, and like girls interrupt, uh, girl interrupted, and um, all of those sort of virgin, virgin suicide. suicide. Yeah, <laughs> like, like the emo, you know, not not like the opposite of like Clueless and stuff. I was like the emo girl, and you know, like these are my films, and uh, isn't life so hard? I'm a teenager. Uh, so I I did watch a lot of the like the same films over and over again, but I, I watched some clips of Thirteen and it just looked really bad to me. I like Holly Hunter in it. I think she does really well with her limited role, but at the same time, I I think of all the other great performances she's given, and this doesn't really. I know she's putting in the effort, but it feels like at some points like a, a poor imitation of a great Holly Hunter performance. It doesn't feel like she's really got the material there to sink her teeth into and the rest of the film just feels muddled and messy and just the camera work annoys me. And everything about the film I just think Oh, this could have just been so much tighter and yeah, it's kind of like the pieces of April type of thing. I think I prefer it a lot more than pieces of April, but I like Holly Hunter. I, she's one of those actresses that's just disappeared, hasn't she? I don't, I don't, mm. I can't really remember what else she's been in recently, but it's a real shame because I, yeah, she's literally just disappeared off the radar. I'm trying to, oh yeah, she was in Batman vs. Superman. Oh. Uh, uh, I forgot she was in that. Oh, she was in The Big Sick. So, but that's about it. I can't think yeah. of anything else she's been in recently. So, yeah, yeah. that's all I ha- all I have to say about thirteen. I liked it when I was thirteen. Well, it's funny that you said that because a couple of weeks ago I revisited this and I put on my uh, my Facebook account. I was like, you know what, I just got redone watching 13, and it truly is one of those movies that if you looked up to this movie, I feel like you're either on your sixth kid or in jail. Like, <laughs> I I totally stand by that, because this movie is ridiculous. I will say right off the bat, I do think Evan Rachel would, would have been an interesting Oscar nominee here for this. I know she was nominated at the Globes, but 
while Hunter is Brandon's 87 Best Actress winner, Hunter is my 93 Best Supporting Actress winner for the firm. And this is, um, I like this from her. Like, I like her in the firm. I, I think she's definitely the best part of the movie. There's a real emotional spout coming from her, especially that needs to happen, especially when you're getting nothing but rough edges and a hard time from Wood's character. Um, you know, there's that scene in the shower that she like pops out when she figures out that her boyfriend's leaving. There's the reaction of her tearing up the floor. There's her finding out that Wood's character cuts herself. I mean, these are real things, you know. My little sister, um, I have two little sisters. One just turned 18 this week and the other one is 16. Like, I remember what it was like being 13 years old in the mid-2000s. 2005 is when I was 13. Yeah, born in 92. Um, And I couldn't imagine what it was like ever being a 13-year-old girl in that era, let alone now. And so I remember watching 13 and being like, oh my god, like, is this is this what it's like through the lens of, like, 13 year old girl then like it must be worse now so i i mean the movie gives me that aspect because i I, that i've gotten to experience through there but obviously never in person but yeah i don't think the movie's great um i think it's definitely better than pieces of april and i think this is a way better performance than uh clarkson's giving us but um yeah i will say it's kind of funny too um academy queen's favorite ronnie blakely um her daughter is in this movie she is the one who is mentioned to have a really big butt, and she's like, fuck you, walking with the guy past Wood and Nikki ha- uh, Nikki's character. So that's Ronnie Blakely's daughter. But um, other than that, yeah, I think this is, a, this is a really good nomination. I dig it. Yeah, I think it gives her some fun opportunities and some moments to shine, like the few that you mentioned. But overall, I'm not sure how much this is really stretching Hunter and if we're really seeing a new side of her with this mm-hmm. performance. But um, it feels like she definitely uh, showed up and she put in the effort and she gave a memorable performance in a movie that I'm not particularly fond of. But um, I think she did an admirable job with what she had here. Another actress might not have succeeded in quite the same way. Moving on to our final nominee of this year is Marsha Gay Harden. We're also at the end of our Gay Harden uh, trail. She has Celeste Boyle in Mystic River. This is her second of two nominations. Get this, guys. Going into this, you know what she had? Critics' Choice nomination. That's it. So, good for her for pulling this off, because I remember them really campaigning Laura Linney. In Mystic River, again, Marsha plays Celeste, who is the wife to the Tim Robbins character, who oh, really kind of just rats his ass out for something. Um, if you haven't seen the movie, you've had plenty of time, so for something that he didn't do, because he's acting suspicious, she gets worried, goes to Sean Penn's character, and essentially is her own Black Widow. Um, so, B, you started off, us off in this category. Why don't you end us as well? I feel really bad, um, but I haven't seen Mystic River. So, I don't know what I can really add. I mean, I know I was meant to watch this film, and I just ran out of time and it's been one of those films that i've been meaning to watch for so long um so i thought i would just fess up and say that and i feel really bad and you're probably not going to invite me back now hey at least you're honest and you didn't go off with something like oh yeah i loved her when she went to spain and 
you know, her role was really, really good when she landed in Spain and then fought the queen. And so I appreciate the honesty. It's okay. Where's that Marsha Gayhard movie? I want to watch that. <laughs> so I don't blame you for not exactly getting around to it because Mystic River is quite a draining film. Um, the novel even more so. And um, I guess I'll bring in the novel a little bit because it's one that I really like. Um, when people ask me for like my top 10 books, it usually appears in the list. Um, I also have a little beef with the movie because it really downplays the role of Celeste Boyle. Um, there's so much more to her character in the, in the novel. We don't get in the film. She basically has her own like subplot going on. Cause for those who don't know her husband played by Tim Robbins is um, a very troubled man with a dark past um, involving abuse from when he was a child. And when this terrible murder happens in this town he is everyone's or at least some people's number one suspect and um turns out spoiler if you haven't gotten around to it, it was a best picture nominee so i'm sure it's one that people have seen uh he didn't do it but before he is um punished for this crime he didn't do celeste played by marcia gay harden goes to sean penn who is the father of the dead girl and basically confesses that she believes her husband did it and basically gives Sean Penn all he needs to know in order to go out and seek his own form of paternal vigilante justice, um, and unjustly so. But without a lot of the scenes that were omitted, you don't quite get everything that Celeste has been mentally put through leading up to that moment where she um, basically throws her husband under this bus, uh, she goes through so many ups and downs and in and outs while trying to wrap her mind around what happened to this dead girl and how her husband could have done it. And she's going through all these memories and everything he's ever told her and all the things she's heard from other people and rumors. And it's, I'm not sure exactly thinking about it, how they would have filmed it because so much of it is psychological and internal, but it's some of the most fascinating richest parts of the novel. I would suspect she may have read the novel herself and was able to do a little bit of research into the character that wasn't in the screenplay. And perhaps she's able to bring that to the screen in the scenes that she is given because they don't cut her whole subplot entirely because so much of it is essential to how this movie plays out. But um, there's snippets along the way where I think she's um, doing what she can to bring as much weight to this character as is possible so that when she does turn to Sean Penn in the end with this information that she thinks might be true, it makes sense why a wife would do this to her husband. It's just unfortunate that the movie doesn't give us all that, but Marcia Gay Harden's a pro and um, I think she does a wonderful um, stellar job with what the movie's allowing her to do. So in 2003, Mystic River would actually be probably my best picture winner. I really, really enjoy this movie for what it is. I think it's brilliantly suspenseful. Um, there's something about it, too, that I always forget that he didn't do it. So I think that for me, that's why it's my best picture, because I'm like, oh, my God, that's wait a minute. It gets me every time. So I am going into this not reading the book. Now, I God, Brandon, I remember when we started this podcast for some reason, we talked about Mystic River, and I remember you saying you were really upset because you loved the book, 
and you were really upset that Gay Harden's performance was cut up. So it's been a while since we've talked about that. So I'm glad we're finally here. So you definitely have a little bias against it, though, because of your love for the book. Now, I have to go into this as only ever seen the movie. I really like this. Um, she is so limited in her screen time, but the emotion, the emo- the emotional roller coaster she is on as a viewer, you are invested into it every step of the way, and you can't believe that she is ratting out her own husband just based off of false pretenses and not actual evidence. And the fact that in the end, she knows she fucked up and Linny knows it. I mean, there's a point where Linny and Penn are in bed together and they're like, they literally belittle her for turning, you know, for ratting him out and, um, or ratting her husband out. And even like Linny and Penn turn their backs on her and she is there left all alone crying at this parade that Boston is having. And it's all her fault. It's all her fault. Um, very little screen time, but very, very worthy of a nomination here. I like it a lot. <laughs> a lot, a lot. I just feel bad that I haven't seen Mystic River. I just be, it's one of those films that I mean to watch. Um, but I, it's really hard for me to watch those type of movies. And I have to really sort of get into the right headspace to watch it. If that makes sense. Because I know it's, it's going to be like one of those films I might have to stop watching and have some like breathing space. Especially if it just starts off, like how it starts off and everything. So, um, but I, I will watch it and I will, I will read the book as well. I feel like I have to read books now, like to, for the, the this book club that's going to happen. Academy yes. Queen's book club of 2003. <laughs> oh God, that needs to be a merch right there. <laughs> the Academy Queen's book club. Yeah, it's definitely uh, so yes. a novel and a film you have to be prepared for. Uh, I know I keep I keep being a nerd and going back to the book, but it's one of the few books that's ever made me cry. So it's a pretty heavy story, um, both versions of it. So it's definitely one you have to be in the right headspace for and be prepared for um, all the content, all the subject matter that you're about to um, be exposed to. I cry at everything. So, yeah, I'll be a wreck. You'll be a mess. <laughs> yeah. So we've got some questions regarding the supporting actress lineup from Christoph N., Judge Roy Snyder, one of our two favorite Germans who follow us. Scarlett Johansson was a possibility for a double nom this year with Girl with the Pearl Earring and Lost in Translation for which she was campaigning and supporting. She got nominated in both lead categories at the Globes. Why didn't it work out? Should she have gotten one? With which performance did she come closer? I've never seen Girl with a Pearl Earring, so I can't comment on that one. I don't like Lost in Translation, so I don't think she should have had a nomination for that, so I'm going to say neither. Um, Oh, I love Lost in Translation. Oh my gosh. I think she's wonderful in that film. <laughs> I think she's wonderful in that. Um, I, I I don't think Girl of the Pill airing was really much of a film. It was pretty, and but it was just dull, and she was just there to look pretty. I don't know. I just that it's uh, not my thing. 
Uh, but I like Lost in Translation a lot. I think it's a really great film, and she's she's very good in it. But um, I don't know if it really was a like compared to Bill Murray's performance, kind of feels a bit subdued and and less showy, and and it's not really. Like, you remember him from that film. You don't really necessarily remember her in that movie. She has a few moments. But it's never really, a like, any um, big emotional moments like he does. Like, he has some really great scenes where it's just him on his own. And it... So, maybe Lost in Translation, I could see her for best supporting. But... Um, yeah, Girl with a Pill Airing. Ugh, just no. Just hate that film. I don't think I've ever seen Girl with a Pearl Earring. I think that was another one of those movies that was just never really on my radar. Um, I do like Lost in Translation as a film, but I've never really been enamored with Johansson's performance in it. I'm definitely more interested in what Sofia Coppola is doing as a director and Bill Murray's performance. Because, like B was saying, you don't really think of Scarlett Johansson right away when you think of Lost in Translation. It's not really her movie. And so I guess um, I'm okay that she did not get nominated for either because she's not really high up on my list in this particular year. So um, I like Lost in Translation, just not so much Johansson in it. Yeah, I think as well is that she was sort of just starting out and I don't think she really had the, the range there, like the maturity in her performance mm. so i'm sorry sorry yeah, to, I'm, to, to all the scarjo <laughs> fans out there <laughs> i thought you were gonna pull a, a tiki palmer and just be like sorry to these men um, <laughs> i i will say not that i would be like oh my god there's an oscar nominee performance on lost in translation but like if you're gonna give someone a supporting actress nom here anna ferris doing a parody of cameron diaz was hilarious so, maybe, but even that's a stretch. From Mika at MBBNC, who do y'all think were... Y'all, so that was me, not him. Um, <laughs> who do y'all think was runner-up to Renee in Supporting Actress? I love Renee and always want to see her succeed, but I think in retrospect, this should have been Sheree's win. That was him who said that. With that said, I'm going to say, even though Holly Hunter had the most amount of precursor love she didn't win anywhere and i'm probably gonna say shoraya Dashlu was the runner-up due to the fact that she had most of the critics awards in the indie spirit yeah i think i would agree with you there uh, patricia clarkson also get got some uh critics love and she won a special prize at sundance for pieces of april but i would have to imagine that um realistically house of sand and fog uh, was probably uh, the likely runner-up to Cold Mountain in that category, based on you know what we have on paper. I echo that completely. Um, I just I'm just trying to get over the fact that pieces of April, like she got yeah, uh, yeah yeah like <laughs> sorry sorry still processing it still processing it. All right, so your nominees for Best Actress in a Leading Role in 2003 were... Keisha Castle-Hughes in Whale Rider. Diane Keaton in Something's Gotta Give. 
Samantha Morton in In America. Charlize Theron in Monster. Naomi Watts in 21 Grams. All right, let's start off with our winner for the year. We have Charlize Theron winning for Monster. This is her first of three nominations and so far her only win. Going into this, she was pretty much the undisputed frontrunner, I would say, because she wins the Golden Globe, the SAG, the Critics' Choice, the Indie Spirit, the National Society of Film Critics, and a National Board of Review Award for Breakthrough Performance. And she's also recognized with BAFTA. In Monster, Charlize Theron plays Eileen Warnos, the real-life sex worker turned serial killer. So, B, how do you feel about Charlize Theron in Monster? Oh, she is so scary in this. Like, um, I, I mean, in like in terms of how she really gets into the role. Like, I was watching sort of scene comparisons, like with the trial and the actual real life trial and she gets it down to just like the way she does her eyes and that wide stare and like how she sort of tilts her head backwards and her like body language and the way she speaks she really it like you forget it's it's her like you forget it's just somebody acting she's completely into that role and I think, like, I, I don't think of, I can't really think of another actress who's really done that before in, to that level of dedication and ju- just becoming completely lost in it. And when we sort of talk about method acting, we sort of talk about, like, I don't know, Robert De Niro and Joaquin Phoenix, and it's always men doing it, and it's great to see her taking on this role and becoming completely lost in it and proving that women can do it just as well as men. So, yay, feminism. (laughs) (laughs) Feminist serial killers, yay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wait, Uh, that's bad. (laughs) That's not the role models we want. Um, But no, well, maybe. Um, Just so far, I've talked about women pulling off chickens' heads and now when talking about like how great it is to see women serial killers. I mean, I don't want people to get the wrong impression of me. <laughs> no, you're good. Uh, Trust but, me, we, we've said a lot worse on this. You're good. <laughs> yeah, but uh, she is just amazing in this like role. I, I like I say, you just complete like she went. She did so much as well. You know. The fact that she shaved her eyebrows off, I mean, that is that is still, like, out of all of the things you can do, I mean, shaving your own eyebrows, that is crazy. That was absolute next-level dedication to, you know, acting. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's a really hard film to watch. Um, I watched it again, and I just find it so... Um, uncomfortable to watch and like I say it, I think it's because of the way it's shot and the, the levels of realism and recreating the film and 
how she, um, she gets into this role and it's I mean I'm I, I can't see I just can't imagine anyone else doing this role and also doing it as well as she did and uh, it's amazing to see like her career kind of took a bit of a nosedive didn't it like she was starring in some really awful films uh and now she's sort of on the rise again so i'm glad to see that happening because um i was really worried about her (laughs) when she started doing what's that weird aeon flux or whatever it was oh yeah i forgot about that yeah most people did yeah yeah but she had some rough years for a while, yep. but now she, now she's back. Yeah, young adult brought, brought her back to the to the good side, or the you know, not the dark side, you know, whatever the Star Wars term is. I'm glad we're doing this one first, and I know I'm a minority here, but I do not like this. Um, I remember seeing this movie when it came out. I was super young. I was probably I was 11 when this movie came out, and something just felt off about. Charlie's there and playing this role then, and this was even before I got really, really into film, and I had revisited it over the years, and that feeling just always stuck with me, so when I revisited this a couple months ago to prepare for eventually getting to this year, um, I think she's really miscast here. Um, I think this is one of those performances like Darkest Hour, where the makeup is doing the job, um, and she's really, really playing for the back row. Um, I've, you know, Eileen Wuornos was a character. There's no doubt about that. Um, and she was over the top in so many ways, but it it feels like Theron is almost doing a parody of Theron, trying to do a parody of Wuornos, if that makes any sense. And it does not work. I don't get how this swept everything. Um, and it's funny that you had mentioned, because I was going to bring this up. Someone who could do it better. I finally got the right Eileen Wernos a couple of years ago on American Horror Story Hotel when Lily Rabe did did the role. I think she did the 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 role for two or three episodes in that season, and it was pitch perfect to what the tapes of Eileen Wernos were. It was everything that I wanted Charlize to be plus more. Yeah, this one doesn't work for me. And I, I know I'm in the minorities, so save all your ads and your tweets. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, woo, here's another Joey thing. I get it, bro. I get it. But this is this is not a good win. This is not a good win at all. Uh, Brandon, what about you? So um, I guess if you're in the minority, then I guess I'm in the majority. Because I really like her in this. I think Charlize Theron is spectacular as Eileen Wuornos. Um, I don't need an actor to be... Um, exact and dead on with the real life person. And um, I don't think the makeup is doing the job. I think it's just doing a job to help us uh, believe that she is this version of this person. Um, I think this is a very um, scary performance. I think that's the word that he also used. Um, Charlize Theron becomes an entirely different person here. And it's not just the makeup. This is a side of her that I don't think we've seen since. And very few actors, I think, have really gone to these places. Because I think she completely sells this character. Um, I believe at a certain point in this movie that she is as close to the real life Eileen Warnos as we're going to get. 
And I've also seen Lily Rabe, of course. She does a fabulous job as well in a completely different context and a different version of that character. But um, they can both be good. One doesn't have to be good and the other one has to be bad. Um, I think Charlize Theron really nails it here. Um, she delivers and carries this movie all the way through. Um, I don't think she's miscast at all. Um, if anything, the only person I don't, the person I really don't buy in this is for some reason Christina Ricci. I don't know why she always feels slightly off to me whenever yeah. I watch this movie. Like, like she's the one that doesn't really belong. Um, but Charlize Theron, I've never had a problem with. I saw this movie way back when it went out or when it came out. Um, this is very much like my mom's kind of movie. And so I think we like rented this from like movie gallery or something. And Ooh, throwback. Yeah, I know. Everyone always goes for Blockbuster, but in my home, it was uh, Movie Gallery. And um, I remember really liking it then. Uh, of course, viewers or listeners know that my family didn't have any real boundaries when it came to what they allowed me to watch. So I watched this with my family when I was like, I don't know, 12 or whenever this came out. And I was captivated then and rewatching this a few weeks ago. I was just as captivated. Um, I think this is a worthy win and I don't knock it whatsoever. Sorry, guys. Gave you a Joeyism. <laughs> oh no, it's fine. You, you're welcome to speak your mind, and you. Um, it's great to hear like your view as well, because yeah. I know you're not the only one. You're not the only one. There are others out there. So this is this is definitely one that when I have talked to other cinephiles with, that I get the big what the fuck from, which it's fine. You know, if you don't like someone, I'm not knocking on you. But this is definitely one that I get knocked on for a lot. So I'm ready for when this comes out. If we get any tweets about it, you know, have at it. But it's okay. I'm used well, to it right now. We've also said on this podcast a few times that everyone has that movie or that director or that performance that everyone loves and just doesn't work for you on an individual level. And yeah. everyone's going to have that response to some work of art. But the thing is... Like B was saying, you are never alone in that. You're never going to be the one person on Earth who didn't like it. There's always going to be some group of people. They're just maybe not quite as vocal about it. So I'm sure there's listeners who agree with you. Um, but Thank you so yeah. much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was just going to say, like, if... Um, yeah, the Christi I was just going to say about the Christina Ritchie thing. Like she, if there's anything, I think she, like you say, she's the odd one out. Um, her, but, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know why it is about her. Maybe it's because she looks too cute and innocent, if that makes sense. Like Maybe. she doesn't like belong in that world. Oh, let me go off of that. Maybe it's because she's too cute and innocent. Like. Like, we, we, we get Christina Ricci as, like, Wednesday Adams. I feel like that's the role mm. people still remember her the most of. But it almost feels like a cute and Christina Ricci is trying too hard to be a big, bad Christina Ricci. Uh, yeah, maybe. Mm. I like, can't quite put my finger on it, but yeah. it doesn't feel right. And it kind of takes you out of the film when she's whenever she's around, if, if you know what I mean. So. Yep, yep. And we do actually have two questions from Catherine Short. Do you think that an actress being able to quote-unquote de-glam as Theron did in Monster should be seen as something impressive, or do you think too much significance is placed on the idea when voters come to evaluate performances? 
B, do you want to start us off with that? Because that's strictly referring to the woman's point of view. Um. Yeah, I don't. It really can't. It does kind of annoy me now. Like it. It kind of feels. It's. Yeah. I don't. I don't understand why it's such a big deal if women don't wear makeup and the in front of a camera because it's like normal. Is this is just how it is? Like sometimes we don't wear makeup. I know it's crazy. Um, what? I know, and sometimes we just <laughs> so yeah. Uh, sometimes we don't even brush our teeth. I mean, this is just... <laughs> um. I yeah. I don't. I don't really understand why it's given that much attention. I I think it just kind of um because it's not just them sort of. It just fit, puts it on a face value. It doesn't really talk about the actual work they're doing in terms of the the performance wise. It's just talking about what they're looking like. Like oh, so the the she shaved off her eyebrows for this film, or oh, she put on some weight for this movie, and oh, she she didn't wash for a week. And it's not actually talking about what's going on in the role uh, and what the actress is doing. Whereas if it's for a man, you're, you know, it, it feels like it's complete, it's treated in a completely different way. Uh, I just keep on thinking about whacking Phoenix and dislocating his knee. Um, I don't know why. <laughs> but like, nobody's going on about like, oh, he, he didn't, you know, he didn't wash his hair for a week. Isn't that amazing, yeah. you know? So. Yeah. I I don't know. That's sorry. I I have to stop on these like little mini rants of mine. I get very like annoyed. <laughs> You're good. You're good. Um, I think the whole D glam transformative thing is always going to be a factor in uh determining how we feel about a performance and whether it's um, worthy of merit. But I don't think it's ever the only factor. Um. Like, I know people mention Charlie Theron in particular when it comes to, you know, an actress who put on weight and changed her entire appearance. And that's why some people think she won for Monster, but I think it goes much deeper than that. Like, she is truly giving a riveting performance and creating an actual character out of this. She just didn't eat donuts for two months and stop bathing. And then she was just automatically given an Oscar. She actually put in the work as a person or as a as an actor and put all of her talents and her craftsmanship on display here. So the whole D glam thing is just one piece of the overall puzzle that is this performance. Yeah, I would agree. It's it's definitely a political aspect to this campaigning stuff that we talk about a lot. Um I I, I no no I know this came out in like two thousand three, but it almost is just as annoying, I'm gonna guess, as for you know hearing B's thoughts out of two, as like, ooh, it's so brave to go de-glam. Like, ooh, it's so brave to play someone who's gay when you're not. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I feel like that's very similar in that way. And it's like, okay, how about it's so brave to, I don't know, reward a black actor for not just playing a slave? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, 
because you look at the, for an example, I'm going to use that as, for the example here for sake of this conversation. You look at most of the actresses and who have ever been nominated who are black, slave roles or very, very poor people. And it's like, okay, what else? You know what I mean? There isn't a what else for them. So it's like, okay, do something special for an actor, do it. It, you know, they don't have to be brave for playing a slave who breaks free. They don't have to be brave for playing, playing gay or for playing ugly. You know what I mean? Like, move on from that narrative because it's, it's old. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it was, it's been done and that's, you know, like you say, it's time to move on. And right. I just, ugh, it's, it's frustrating. It's it just, but, ah, sorry, sorry. I'm gonna just well, calm, take might, a deep might, breath. I'm taking a deep breath. <laughs> take a deep breath because this question continues with Farron one for playing a prostitute. Talk about why you think the Academy values actresses who play roles like this, and whether you are frustrated with some of the tropes attached to this type of role. B, do you want to take a breath and start, <laughs> and, start and have Brandon go? Brandon, <laughs> yeah, Brandon, you go, or else I'll just start getting angry. I'm gonna just. Yeah, prostitutes do seem to be uh, a favorite occupation of some <laughs> Oscar voters. Like just off the top of my head, you know, I can think of Julia Roberts and Pretty Woman. Um, and oh, I just had another. Oh, um, Leaving Mira Las Sordino. Vegas, um, Mira Sordino and uh, Elizabeth Shue from Leaving Las Vegas. So there's just a few from our last season. Um, I'm not sure what it is. Um, perhaps it's the old guard chauvinism and. I don't know what the breakdown is these days, but, you know, there for decades, um, the majority of voters in the Academy were men and the majority of people producing films and directing films were men. So I think you often got these roles that um, I don't know if looked down upon women is the right way of putting it. But I think you got a lot more prostitution type roles back in the day and um I think there is something to that. I would like to think it's changing as um, women are more involved in the filmmaking process. Like this past year, we have Hustlers, which is about strippers, but told an entirely different, um, from an entirely different point of view. So um, I would like to think that the times are changing. Yeah, I mean, it's weird because these films often sort of have... I oh, I just started thinking about, like, you know, the bored housewife who suddenly decides she wants to have... She suddenly becomes a prostitute for some reason or, you know, whether it's like she's down on her luck and, you know, she needs to make ends meet. So it's always those type of roles or it's like the poor woman who has, you know, been... Uh, I don't know, sex trafficking or something. It's always like a really... And then you get like the Julia Roberts type and it's like, hey, prostitution is fun. And it's like it's either... What's like going on here? What are these weird mixed messages that we're trying to send out? And I don't get... I don't get like there's a weird... There was like a weird fascination. I don't think we see it much now. Um, Maybe because like you know, Brandon was saying about like who's making the movies and who's writing them and um so we're not really getting that those those films as much as that's not to say that we don't still get them 
but I don't I don't know. I just think of all these like old men <laughs> like oh yeah, pros- prosti- a movie about prostitutes. Let's you know, ah, oh, and she's she's not wearing any makeup. Yeah. Let's give yeah. give her a nomination. <laughs> but um I don't yeah, I don't really like those type of roles for women. Um uh, unless so they're trying to do something different. But it all feels like a lot of the time I feel like they're there just to support the men, like in and they're like I think is it Clute or something? There's always I'm just thinking of like loads of nineteen seventies films and I just think of like Taxi Driver and Jodie Foster's character and she was a prostitute. I mean like I mean has... that was a perfect example with Clute. Jane Fonda is the mm. main character and the movie is named after the man of the movie. Yeah. Like that was a perfect thing right there. I didn't even think about that until we were just talking about that. Oh well, you I mean, heaven forbid naming a, a movie after a female character. What? She, she don't want to do that. <laughs> That's a crazy idea. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I think I would agree with both of you. It's just, and I kind of touched on it a little bit a few minutes ago. It's not brave to do these things anymore. So it's like, okay, what else can we do? So I guess that's, I answered both of those questions in a weird way with my first answer. Okay, well, our next nominee is uh, Keisha Castle-Hughes, nominated for Whale Rider. This is so far her first and only uh, nomination. Uh, Her only win going into this is a Critics' Choice Award for Young Actor, and she was nominated with the Screen Actors Guild, but in the supporting category. In Whale Rider, Keisha Castle-Hughes plays Paikea, a young girl fighting to fulfill her destiny that she was born to have but is currently being denied to her due to her sex so joey how do you feel about keisha castle hughes in whale rider first of all who in sag watches whale rider and sees keisha castle hughes in every frame of the movie and goes you know what that's a supporting role (laughs) (laughs) like no um I saw Whale Rider for the first time working at Blockbuster, speaking of Blockbuster, um, about 10 years ago. I didn't like it. I didn't understand why Castle Hughes was nominated. It just was like, it just seemed like a fluke. Then I rewatched it, so I hadn't seen it until I rewatched it for this. And I watched it and got a whole new perspective on this movie, and I'm so glad that I did, because this movie is wonderful. This movie truly tells a story of culture and she is the heart and soul of this movie. There is so much going on that she wants to prove, like so much going on in the form of her wanting to prove that she's worthy, even though it's her birthright. If she's not accepted because she was born a twin and her brother died and her grandfather, who is super traditional and old school in his cultural patriotic ways are he's just very much like women are women and men do the men things and she's here to fuck it up and like or i'm sorry like shake it up that's what i mean by fuck it up and she wants so hard throughout this entire movie to be loved and accepted by him and and almost dies doing it and he still just doesn't love her and it isn't until the very end where she finally is set free 
she's set free from all of this BS and she's set free with her destiny that it comes full circle for her. And this is not a showy performance at all. There's not a single moment in this movie that I would actually deem worthy of an Oscar clip for like the big showy moment. But the whole performance as a whole is emotionally wrecked and draining and beautiful. And by God, does she put her adult actors around her to shame because you could have thought that she was doing this for for eons. And I want to point out that the same casting director who found her found Anna Paquin for the piano. So there was, there's a lot of child talent in New Zealand. Um, (laughs) B, what about you? Yeah. Considering she was like, wasn't a trained actress. Like they just walked into a classroom and like picked her up like that. Mm-hmm. And, and then she just, ah, oh, she is so good in this film. And there were so many moments where I could feel myself like uh, welling up with tears. And she feels so more, so mature in this role. And it's, it feels like she's been acting for years. Like, uh, it sounds strange, but like it's almost like she has an old soul. I don't know how to describe that really. Like she feels, I feel like she's been living on this planet for longer than she actually has. Like she brings so much with her to this performance, and I've, I, I think Whale Rider is such a great film to watch uh, as a family. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. and and uh, it's just really, it's a really powerful movie, and it's a shame. Like, I don't know if her her career has really gone the places that it should have been going. I mean, I I remember she, she's in Game of Thrones, but I don't know if she's been in anything else. I was trying to like rack my brain trying to think of anything else that she's been in. Um, Anyone else remember if she's been in, in anything? The I know Nativity she... Story movie. She played Mary. I remember that, and that was about it. Oh, oh gosh, that was oh that had Oscar Isaac in apparently. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's that's a long time ago. That's two thousand six. Yeah, because I remember that was trying to be pushed for a lead actress nomination for her as well, or supporting. And that didn't end. That ended up bombing here in the states. So I don't remember if they got any traction once it came out. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, she gives a pretty triumphant performance in what I would say is a pretty triumphant film. Um, this was my first time watching this movie. Actually, just another one of those movies that I just ne- had never gotten around to. And it's a it's a powerful, delightful little movie um, about overcoming the patriarchy and um, living out the dreams that were always supposed to be yours in the first place um, that were, that have been actively taken from you because of how you were born. And it's astounding how um, strong of a performance she gives considering she didn't really have all that much formal training going into this. I'm not sure how much of this movie was rehearsed, Prior to filming, I would imagine they did some work with her in order to get her ready for shooting. But um, considering her background, I think this is an especially wonderful uh, performance from her. I'm not sure what um, what she wants career-wise or what her goals are as a performer. Um, 
but I think if she if she wants it, she deserves to have everyone knocking on her door giving her offers because I think she deserves it because this is a really great um really great performance in a movie that I think more people ought to see. I would imagine this is one that um a lot of people still have to uh watch. We've got a question regarding Castle Hughes from Catherine Short. Do you think that earning a nomination as a child actress like Castle Hughes sets up unfair expectations for an actress? And which Oscar-nominated child actress whose career didn't pan out would you like to see make a comeback? Um, no, I don't think it sets up expectations, if anything. I, you know, I think it sets up... Uh, Thing, I, I think it sets up the opportunity for a really solid career to show us more. I mean, look at Jodie Foster and Sarah Sharonin, for example, both child actresses who earn nominations, and now there's multiple nominations, and Jodie's got two wins. Um, as much for a child's career who didn't pan out, who I'd like to see make a comeback, I think it's no surprise that when I say Quinn Cummings, um, I think she was my tie winner with Leslie Brown in 77 for The Goodbye Girl. And even though she's a really great writer now, I really want Quinn to make a comeback to acting. And, you know, I think that'd be great. Um, I know it's an actress, but I also like to see Justin Henry make a comeback after his uh, nomination for Kramer versus Kramer. Um, B, what do you think? Yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't, I'm trying to think if there's really like a, um, an actress that springs to mind that hasn't gone on to have a really uh, good career. Because um, I was just remembering, um, you know, there was uh, Haley Steinfeld, uh, mm-hmm. who was in True Grit, and she's still doing quite well, isn't she? And um, Shelley Temple, I mean, um, mm-hmm. she, she sort of dominated and... Um, she then went on. I, I mean, she got out of Hollywood, but she still went on to have quite a, a good career. I think she probably made enough money not to work for the rest of her life. Um, but yeah, I don't. I don't know whether. I mean, I think we just hear like the the horror stories, really, and then like we assume that that's the case because all child stars, you know, we think of like Lindsay Lohan. <laughs> go, go, yeah. and Brit- Britney Spears and everything so um, just yeah I'm, I'm just thinking I, one that I wanted to quickly mention was um, Tatum um, o- O'Neill who mm. won I think she is only one of only one that might have actually won she was 10 years old and she won best supporting actress for Paper Moon and I, she did kind of go on and have a career, but that was kind of played with like drug and um, alcohol abuse. But she's sort of recovered now and is back making making films and TV. So it really depends on what sort of support network that these you know young actors have. So. Yeah, I don't. I can't think of really anyone that hasn't really gone on to do something. They've also most like if it's not film, they've managed to have a career in TV. So thank, thankfully, we've got like decent TV now where it's okay for sort of people to go into TV and 
they can do really well there. Yeah, I'm not sure about the whole expectations thing. I think young actors, just like older actors, particularly uh, female and non-white actors, are at the mercy of the industry that they're working in and the roles just simply being there and being worthy of them. Tatum O'Neill was another was an example that I was going to throw out as well, because in addition to all that, she was also battling a pretty um, turbulent home life, um, mm. particularly when it came to her father, Ryan O'Neill, who was also an actor and was in Paper Moon with her. And um, Tatum O'Neill is one of those actors who has appeared in things here and there, but I don't know if she has really had the career that she deserved um, because of the industry and just her own home. Um, she's popped up in things here and there. She's in my boyfriend's favorite episode of Sex in the City. So that's something. Oh, the shoes episode. I think it's called A Woman's Right to Shoes. Um, <laughs> yeah, the so shoes. She, so she's in that episode. Um, but yeah, Tatum O'Neill is someone who I would really like to see a comeback. Um, I could see her sinking her teeth into something really dark and juicy and gritty and really giving us something really beautiful and tragic out of it. I would really love to see that. Well, hold on, because we have two more questions regarding Castle Hughes and children. This one is from Jackson DiStefano at Jack... Well, screw her. She knows who she is. <laughs> so, um, since Keisha Castle... I gotta give her some shit. Um, since Keisha Castle Hughes is in here, I wonder what child performances do you think deserve to be nominated, both in terms of what was nominated or wasn't, but you think should have been? Um, I mean, this could be a huge, huge list for anybody, I feel. Well, maybe not a huge, huge. But uh, the, the first child that really comes to mind for me is the kid who played Danny in The Shining. I think it was really, really special what they did for him there. One I want to shout out really quick, and I hate when people say it because I don't understand why people liked her so much, is that annoying-ass brat from the Florida Project, whatever the fuck her name <gasps> oh, was a couple years ago. Oh, no. Uh, that's oh. who I have to say. B, how about you? <laughs> I love the Florida Project. Brooklyn Pr uh, Prince, I think her name oh, is. She's so is. sweet. I love her in that role. I think it's because she reminds me kind of like my own sister who's kind of bratty uh, and sort of like would speak back to people and act like that um so i don't know like she just reminds me of my little sister so uh but i think um elsie fisher is one that i was just thinking of like in um eighth grade she was mm. just wonderful and i also want to i can't remember this child's name but uh from Hereditary. Um, oh, the, that girl. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, her, her character's I'll name was Char Charlie, wasn't it? Um, was it, it was. Charlie. And, oh my gosh, she was so good in that film and just perfectly cast. Millie uh, Shapiro. Yes. Oh, she was superb. Um, I think... Oh, I just hate the fact that Hereditary got no, like recognition whatsoever and uh, it still really really annoys me uh but i'm mm. uh, just trying to think of other actresses really um oh uh the deaf girl from uh quiet place i think she was worthy too yes yeah i just think 
any child in any horror film deserves credit because the, you, you, especially ones where they have to play creepy children mm. like it's so hard to pull off like to be mm. a creepy child uh, Millicent Simmons was her name by the way ah uh, yes yeah it's funny you mentioned children in horror movies because I thought of um, Let the Right One In <gasps> yes. yes I think uh, that uh, that gir- vampire uh, child uh, deserved more recognition than she got. Those are good oh. questions. Yeah. So our next lead actress nominee is Diane Keaton, nominated for Something's Gotta Give. This is her fourth of four nominations. So as of today, it's Diane Keaton's most recent nomination. Um, going into this, she wins the Golden Globe for comedy, and she wins with the National Board of Review. And she's also recognized with the Critics' Choice Awards and at SAG. In Something's Gotta Give, Diane Keaton plays Erica Berry, a successful playwright who enters a relationship with her daughter's older boyfriend, who is actually Erica's own age. Um, But he's a bit of a playboy. So, um, uh, B, let's start with you. Uh, What are your thoughts on Diane Keaton and Something's Gotta Give? I love her in this movie. I really like. Um, she, I I I really like the chemistry between her and Nicholson. Like the the scenes really well work well together. And I was just watching the 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 scene where she sort of like confesses her love to him, and my heart breaks for her. And I just want to like, oh, I don't know, like shake her a little bit because like she kind of deserves a. Like she deserves better than um, Jack Nicholson's character, and she's fallen sort of like kind of in love with him without, you know, uh, intentionally doing so. Um, I I I think she's really great in this this film. I like when Keaton does like comedy. Um, I. In terms of all the other performances that there were this year, uh, it's a, it just feels like she was almost overshadowed by the more dramatic performances, you know, the bigger performances, and she really didn't stand much of a chance of winning, which is a bit of a shame because, you know, I, I like this movie. It's, it's a good movie to sort of put on and just enjoy and just, like, you can watch it at any any time, whereas you can't necessarily just put monster in and forget about like the world's problems. It's a really that's depressing what you movie. think. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I I'm I'm glad that um she she was sort of recognised for for that role. Um, but yeah, she just didn't stand any any chance of winning, unfortunately. Look, we've got Corky Diane Keaton nominated for another Corky Diane Keaton performance <laughs> and another Corky Diane Keaton comedy. I mean, <laughs> it's 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 been done. This is like I am still salty that we never got Diane Keaton in her best nominated performance of Looking for Mr. Goodbar a nomination. Um, I mean, at least the Golden Globes did the right thing there, but this is just like been there, done that. And I'm okay. 
I'm good. That's <laughs> meh. That's what I got for it. Yeah, I'd say something's got to give is um, an overall enjoyable movie. Um, it's not exactly the kind of thing that I would just pop in on a raining day, but it's perfectly okay for what it is. Um, I'm glad that we're getting a nomination that's not too heavy. Um, like we said with Bridget Jones' Diary a few weeks ago, it's nice when the Academy is willing to recognize something a little bit lighter. Um, but also, like what Joey was saying, it's not a side of Diane Keaton that we've never seen before. Um, this movie feels very tailored to Diane Keaton. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it was written with her in mind or if she was involved in the writing process or something like that. Because it, it feels very Diane Keaton-esque. Um, she's perfectly fine in the role doing exactly what we know she can do. I just don't know if we're really seeing her stretch herself in any way um i i think she's a beloved person or at least at the time she at least was and perhaps that was working in her favor and um i guess that's about all i've got on it because i just think it's just a perfectly okay vehicle for diane keaton that i don't have the warmest feelings on yeah i mean you do sort of i mean you do bring up a good point i mean it is a very sort of like uh, it's a Diane Keaton role. It clearly was written with her in mind, I think. And you know, it, it, I like I like the film, but that's just me. So you know, yeah. no, no, we we're not going to judge here, right? We won't judge. <laughs> no, no, I, no, I think it's a perfectly enjoyable movie. It's just not exactly my cup of tea. If I can get away with saying that Theron was miscast for Monster, you are more <laughs> than welcome allowed to love Diane Keaton in this role. It's totally okay. It's basi basically, I think Diane Keaton is the woman that I would like to be um, and hope to sort of like I wish I was quirky enough to be like her, but I'm clearly just just a sad little bee. <laughs> <laughs> that took a depressing turn. <laughs> <laughs> you can be the Annie Hall of Academy Queens. Oh, that's that's fine with me. That's fine. As, as long as I, Woody Allen's nowhere near me. Um, yeah. Oh, no, of course not. He's banned. Oh, good. That's good. Not allowed. Next, we have Samantha Morton, nominated for In America. This is her second of two nominations, still pretty fresh off of her last nomination for Sweet and Lowdown. Going into this, she does not win anything major, but she is recognized with SAG, Critics' Choice, Independent Spirit Awards, and the British Independent Film Awards. In In America, Samantha Morton plays Sarah, the mother of a family of Irish immigrants trying to make life work in New York City. So, Joey, how do you feel about Samantha Morton in In America? I actually just watched this yesterday to refresh because it's been a while since I'd seen it. And I this was another one where I liked it better the second time, but this was not one where I could like revere it like I could the second time, like Whale Rider. I think the movie is independent or independent filmmaking at you know its core, um, and I think Morton is doing something really special here. It's it's another subtle independent performance like Castle Castle Hughes, but what doesn't get me like the, the other one is that I'm not connected to this character at any point. It is no, no, no surprise by now that I don't have a fondness for children. And those 
little girls took me out of this because I just found them unbearable. I think it's fine overall, but I, you know, I think it's definitely better than her Sweet Moda performance, but, you know, good thing that she got a second nomination and the first one wasn't a fluke, but with this lineup, it's it's fine that it's nominated. Whatever. Yeah, I kind of feel the same. Like, uh, I like this movie, but um, I don't know. It just it doesn't feel like it's it's fine. She's doing what she can, but I think of she's clearly been in, in better films and given more depth. Like characters are a bit more complex. Uh, and I just think like the films that she sort of like went on to do oh well just before this she'd done is it Morven uh caller um the lynn ramsey film which was a, a much better like um uh, like she had m- more there to do in terms of the character and it's a, a far better um better role and that came out in 2002 and i think i i just think of her being in that film and then seeing her in this because um, I've just watched that recently and then I sort of like recapped in America and all I can just think of is like oh why wasn't she sort of recognized for for that I mean I like it in America but yeah I did you can't the little girls are a little bit irritating after a while Whoa. aren't they <laughs> yeah I'll uh, agree about the the daughters and this they drove me a little batty as well um, I don't really have any huge complaints about Samantha Morton in, in America. Um, something positive I can say is, um, she doesn't really draw attention to herself in any big showy way. And I really respect that as a viewer. Um, sometimes when people make large gestures and try to steal the spotlight, um, it kind of makes me roll my eyes a little bit. But Samantha Morton seems like a very courteous scene partner and um, is more interested in making the scene and the movie overall work um, more so than trying to make herself stand out. And I really like that. Um, She gives a very realistic, um, low-key, subtle, and tender performance in this film. And perhaps the fact that she doesn't um, draw too much attention to herself is a bit of a catch-22 because it doesn't give us a whole lot to praise her for outside of that. She's um, doing exactly what she needs to do to blend with this film and really match what her castmates and her director are going for. But she doesn't exactly stand out in that strong of a way. So it works for me. And then at the same time, it's um, hard to reward her for it, if that makes any sense. Mm. No, no that makes perfect sense. This is from Mika. Not so much a question since Charlie's ran away with it in her category, but I want to say In America is such a lovely film, and Samantha Morton earned her spot despite being nom- not nominated for the Golden Globe SAG and the BAFTA. So, Mika's a fan. I mean, it's a good, it's a perfectly fine film. It's just uh, too bad that it's not so much of a a showcase for her. Although at the same time, I kind of like that it's not. I have very mixed feelings on <laughs> yeah. Samantha Morton's performance in, in America. Yeah. 
Our final nominee is Naomi Watts, nominated for 21 Grams. This is her first of two nominations. Going into it, um, her only uh, win was with the Los Angeles Film Critics, although she is recognized with BAFTA, SAG, the Critics' Choice, National Society of Film Critics, and the New York Film Critics, but she does not win those. In 21 Grams, Naomi Watts plays Christina Peck, whose family was just mowed down by a car, and she soon after enters into an affair with a man who, unbeknownst to her, has the heart that used to belong to her husband, who was an organ donor at the time that he died. So, B, how do you feel about Naomi Watts in 21 Grams? I really like her in this film. I think she's like one of those actresses that I just get so excited when I see her in something, when she pops up in something, and she like pops up in some really, really good films. I'm just thinking like The Impossible, and um, she was in Birdman and Noose, which came out um, last year. And she always brings so much emotional depth to her roles. And I just, this, I just think of the, the scene where she's in the kitchen and she's like having her, her breakdown. And it feels so authentic to me. It feels so real. Like the grief that she's going through and the, the, the anger as well. Like, she's managing like that's how it is it's complex when you're going through like that stage of of grief and um anger and and frustration that you feel and she brings that out and i think it i i kind of wish that she was in more things like i'm i get really excited when i see her come up in films but she really needs to like be recognized for other roles that she's done and I don't think she gets the recognition and I'm I, I like 21 Grams it's a good film I think it's um one of those films that maybe just uh possibly gets I don't know whether it gets overlooked but when you consider like um is it um uh, um was uh his other film before this uh um Amoris Peros yeah and then like um is it Babel that came Babel mm-hmm. yep yeah that came I feel like it's kind of just sort of sandwiched between those two movies and I think as a result it almost just um gets missed and not really like given the attention that it deserves but she's she's great i think she's just such a brilliant actress and she's um conveying so much emotion in this role and yeah i i'm a real big naomi watts fan (laughs) yeah i also really like her in this i think this is really really good um and i i like this i like 21 grams as a film I love a movie that you have to puzzle together as you're watching it. And by the end of it, it like reveals what the hell has been going on this entire time. Um, and Watts is a tour de force here. You know, unlike Castle Hughes, she's showy. And unlike Morton, she's showy. 
and the showiness works here. I mean, it is a movie about grief. It is a movie about grief and loss and um, addiction and a new. And she hits every checkbox that I need if you're going to be that dramatic about, you know, life in general. Um, I think there's something really special she's doing here. I would also like to shout out two things. Number one, Melissa Leo was robbed of a nomination for supporting actress here because she is really good in this movie. Um, Melissa Leo definitely should have gotten some Oscar love. I don't know how you guys feel about that one. But Naomi Watts, at least SAG got it right. A couple years ago, she was nominated in supporting actress for, for St. Vincent. Hilarious. Her comedy is so good. So she's shown now that she can do drama and comedy. Give Naomi Watts some more roles, please. And give her more recognition at the Oscars, please. Thank you again for coming to my second TED Talk (laughs) of this episode. Brandon? Yeah, I'll really quickly uh, second your Melissa Leo motion. Um, Revisiting this movie, I thought Melissa Leo was such a standout here. And I would have loved it if she had been recognized um, for this uh, role. There's, of course, uh, it's no secret. Uh, that there's a couple nominations in the supporting lineup that I would probably boot in favor of her, but we'll get to that later. Um, Naomi Watts, though, she has a real talent that few people have, I think. Um, She's able to really get so incredibly raw and put everything out there so that it looks like she's not in control of herself, and yet she really has a a strong composure about her. She is completely in control of this performance, even when it looks like she is losing it. And when it looks like her mind and body is going in every which, which way while her emotions are exploding from every direction inside of her, she is so internally contained I don't know another way to put it, but she is just so talented in that regard. And I don't know how many people you can really say that about. Um, Naomi Watts, I agree. She deserves to be in so much more and receive recognition for the things she's already done. Uh, St. Vincent is a really good one from her. I remember finding her very funny in that film. Um, She's a wonderful actress who I think uh, deserves a whole lot more. She's very special. And I think she fits this film very well. Um, I'm a little iffy on the movie itself, like I am about most Inuritu films, but I think she fits the uh, turbulent tone of the movie very well. And um, she's sort of like a, um, a barometer for where the movie's going and exactly how intense the tone is at any given point. So um, I think she's working very well within this film and she deserves more than um, what we have given her. Yeah, we need to get like a petition going to like get Naomi Watson like more movies. I don't know, like she needs to be given some actually good material to... when she's given a role that she can really do well, like I just think of Mulholland Drive. I mean, oh my god, what a mm. performance! But then she's then given something like King Kong, and it's just like, what can you do with King Kong? Like nothing. Come on, like yeah. I don't know what I don't know what her agent is doing, but they we need to have serious words with them. 
Serious words. And can we just make sure that the the movement is Academy Queen's book club for Watts? Can we make sure that's that's the big movement? I'm saying do it. We should I, um, read books and find roles that should be adapted to films casting oh Naomi Watts. Yes, this is this right. This is it. This is the next big thing <laughs> that we do. I'm so on board for this. <laughs> all right, uh, we got some questions now to wrap up everyone all together. Um, this is from one of our closest film Twitterers, and he was a guest in our second season. Um, Kevin Jacobson at Kevin underscore Jacobson. Renee and Charlize are back in this year's Oscar race. Anyone else from this lineup you hope will make a big return to the Oscars? I'm going to say right off the bat, I would love to see them all, especially someone like Clarkson after getting pieces of April. But if I'm going <laughs> to pick like two from each, like one from each category, I would say Sharae Goshlu and Keisha Castle Hughes, mainly because they've had the least opportunities to return. I completely agree with you there. Yeah, definitely Keisha Castle Hughes. I mean, she's great. Let's give let's give her and Naomi Watts um, like a really good TV series to get into, like mm. sharp sharp object style. Uh, there's True Detective season four right there. There we are. Let's make it happen, HBO. I completely second those two and. I really hope we haven't seen the last of Marsha Gay Harden or Holly Hunter at the Oscars. But there's a weird part of me that really wants Diane Keaton to sink her teeth into a Looking for Mr. Goodbar style role at her current age and just blow the house or blow the roof off of every movie house in the country and around the world and really show what she can do. Because I don't think we've really seen... um, the extent of Diane Keaton's range in quite some time, and I'd really love to see her get that opportunity. Our final question comes from Andrew Carden at Awards Connect, another AQ fave. Did Jamie Lee Curtis deserve a nom for Freaky Friday? Keep in mind, she was nominated at the Globes for Lead Actress in a Comedy. Abso-fucking-lutely, Jamie Lee <laughs> Curtis really should have won at least three nominations and one win under her belt. Um, yeah, why not? Yeah, <laughs> ca- yeah. We, I mean, we all love Freaky Friday, so yeah, definitely. Sure. I it was so quiet there for a second. I thought I was on this JLC kick, and nobody else. And I was like, "All right, I gotta go." <laughs> like, <laughs> bye. <laughs> That's it. That's all of our questions for uh, the class of 2003. Well, time to get to the rankings. As a reminder, our supporting actresses of 2003 were Holly Hunter in 13, Marsha Gay Harden in Mystic River, Patricia Clarkson in Pieces of April, Renee Zellweger in Cold Mountain, and Shorea Gashlu in House of Sand and Fog. Um, number five is going to Patty Clarkson. That is a uh, dead last performance if I've ever seen one in this lineup. Yeah, I, th- I agree with you there. I'm sorry. Sorry, Patricia. Yeah, it Miranda. breaks my heart that we all agree that Patricia Clarkson's number five because she deserves so much more. And unfortunately, Pieces of April is not it. Number four, I'm actually giving to this year's winner, Renee Zellweger. Um, for, like, maybe a little bit of shocker, considering I think that she is the comedic relief of this movie. Um, she's good, but um, this is a year where I need that emotional level, and it's just not there for me. So number four, Renee Zellweger. 
I feel bad because I, I don't really... Uh, uh, well, I obviously haven't seen Mystic River, so I can't really comment on um, Harden on that. So I'm going to put her at four, and I feel bad for that. But when I watch Mystic River and read the book, or do a follow-up podcast, okay? <laughs> Can I just say I am laughing so hard right now because you've seen Pieces of April... And you're like, there's no way it can be anything else. <laughs> <laughs> and Patricia Clarkson. So the one you haven't even seen ranks higher. That's amazing. Thank you for that. Uh, Brandon, how about you? Uh, so I don't know if this is controversial or not, but I'm going to go ahead and put Holly Hunter at number four for 13. Um, I love Holly Hunter. Of course, I gave her a win in the past. For some reason, this performance and this film just don't do a whole lot for me. So even though I adore the hell out of Holly Hunter, she's going to be my number four this week. Well, it's funny you mentioned Holly Hunter because she's actually my number three. Um, I think she's good. I think she's the best part about 13, and I think her, her scenes are real, real powerful. Um, but here's that old classic trope. The other two are just doing a little bit more for me. So, uh, B, what about you? I'm the same. Holly Hunter is at number three for me. Um, I I love I love Holly Hunter, but you know I I don't know. It's the rest of the film. The rest of the film's a mess, and she's just try kind of trying to hold it together. I'm putting um, this year's winner Renee Zellweger at number three. Um, I do not despise this performance as much as a lot of other people do, um, but it's not strong enough to get my win. So Renee Zellweger um, only cracks number three for me this year for Cold Mountain. Well, my final two are Hunter and Agdashlu. I'm sorry, Jesus. Harden and and Agdashlu. And with that said, I'm keeping them in that order. Marsha Gay Harden is my runner-up, while Sharae Agdashlu is my personal winner. Um, Harden is real powerful for me with what she's doing. It is one of those, it's that testament of, no matter how big your role is or how small it is, you need to do something with it. And boy, does she. Um, it's intense. It's a real emotional uh, role here. Agdashlu, though, fucking blows it out of the water. This is beautiful, heartbreaking, haunting work. And Agdashlu, looking back, this really should have been her Oscar. So, yep, I'm giving it to her. How about you, B? Who's your runner-up and your first? Uh, I completely agree. I think she should have... Um taking the Oscar. So I I'm sorry, I love uh Renee in Cold Mountain, but she's only number two. So um uh, yeah, I'm I know I know it's already happened, the Oscars has already taken place, but in my mind the rightful winner has been announced now. <laughs> oh yeah. So I have uh Marsha Gay Harden and Sheree Agdashalu um as my top two and I'm going to agree with uh, you guys. Agdashlu is my winner, which means Harden is my runner-up. I think Harden is magnificent in Mystic River. I think she brings a lot to a screenplay that doesn't care about Celeste Boyle as much as it should. And it really shows how dedicated she is to um, doing all that she can to make that character work and be um, a contributor to the story. But Agdashalu is completely devast is completely devastating in House of Sand and Fog. Um, she's a standout, and it's it says something when the movie's over and a supporting actress is 
the one that you're left remembering. Um, Cause the punctuation at the end of this film um, involving her character is quite stunning and striking. So I think uh, Sheree Agdashalu would have been a rightful winner of this Oscar. We also just made a Q history with having three people think the same person should have won in a category. Ooh, wow. That's true. The two of us and a guest have never all lined up before. Ever. Uh, Ever. Wow. So. We're all on the same same (laughs) wavelength. I love it. Now, it'll be interesting to see, because I doubt we're on the same wavelength for Lee, but you never know who could end up being number one. True. But I doubt it. Well, as a reminder, those leading performances were Charlize Theron in Monster, Keisha Castle-Hughes in Whale Rider, Diane Keaton in Something's Gotta Give, Samantha Morton in In America, and Naomi Watts in 21 Grams. And I'm giving Diane Keaton my number five spot for Something's Gotta Give. I think Diane Keaton is a treasure in American cinema, but her performance in Something's Gotta Give is not anything different that we've ever seen her do before, and it's not all that um, groundbreaking in any way. So Diane Keaton gets my number five. I'm afraid it's Keaton as well. Um, I love, I, I like the film. I, I really enjoy it. I think she's like great in it. But yeah, like you say, she's not really doing much. We've seen her do it, do that role before. So uh, unfortunately, she's she's at number five. Well, as of right now, we all agree. So we're on the same track. <laughs> To possibly matching our supporting. Um, Diane Keaton, five. That's it. That's all I got for it. (laughs) Samantha Morton is my number four for In America. I think she's wonderful in it, and she does everything she needs to do. But unfortunately, she doesn't stand out in any way for me, um, which is sort of by design and by choice, I guess, for her. So um, number four, uh, Samantha Morton. Oh my gosh, this is so creepy. I'm also saying Samantha Morton for number four. <laughs> so yeah, I kind of the same reasons. I I think that um, the film's really good. I, it's 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 an it's a very good film, but I don't know whether she's really something that I remember much about. Like once that film's over, I don't I don't know if I really get the same sort of responses I do from the others. Holy shit, Samantha Morton is number four for me, too. What? Ooh, I'm starting to sweat. I mean, I'm always sweating, but I'm starting to sweat. <laughs> um, yeah, I think this is, I mean, Brandon, you and I definitely scored her one spot higher than um, her last nomination, so I think we both think that she's better here, but it's um, it's perfectly fine. It's not anything to run home about, and I don't think it's going to be one of those performances that anyone ever remembers, thinking it's one of the greatest ever nominated, but, you know, she's number four. My number three is going to Naomi Watts for 21 Grams. I think this is a really great display of what Naomi Watts is capable of. And it puts a lot of her um, skills and talents out there. Um, And we deserve more of Naomi Watts in the world. Uh, But right now, she's just my number three for 21 Grams. (laughs) I'm going with Naomi Watts, too, for number three. Um, for the same reason, I, I think she's great in the movie. She gives so much emotional range. Um, but compared to the other two performances that are left, I 
she, I don't know. I she's just not the she's not as strong as the other two. But definitely, let's have more Watson. Let's have lots more Watts. I'm trying to make that rhyme. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. This is where we're breaking up. I'm doing Charlie's Theron number three. Um, uh, oh, you ruined it. Well, no. Okay, yes. <laughs> yep, Charlie's Theron three. She's super miscast to me. I think the makeup is doing the most work here. Um, Lily Rabe did it better. I'm sticking by it. So, yep, Charlie's Theron at three. So I have uh, Charlize Theron and Keisha Castle-Hughes left, and I'm giving Keisha Castle-Hughes the runner-up spot for Whale Rider. She's amazing in Whale Rider. Um, She deserves everything. Uh, She makes you feel so triumphant when the movie's over, like you just succeeded with her. But Charlize Theron in Monster is just on another level for me. Um, She is spellbinding and riveting in every way. And I think it makes sense why people put this at the top of their list for uh, best uh, Oscar wins of all time, because I think she is truly remarkable in the role. It's really tough, Um, but I think I'm going with Keisha Castle-Hughes as my number one. Um, I I really enjoyed, um, you know, Monster, I thought it was a good film, I think. A phenomenal job by uh, Shelley. So I, I mean, she does everything right. She's like perfect in in that role. She brings so much depth to it. But when I just think about my overall satisfaction of a story and a character arc, and um, considering how young uh, Castle Hughes was when she was filming that film and how how much range she has I have to give her the number one spot so um, I'm sorry but um, yeah I I just love Whale Rider a lot more than I do Monster (laughs) (laughs) This was a really really tough call for me Um, between Hughes and Watts I I went back on this one for a while but I, I gotta stick with it, and I am giving the run-up spot to Keisha Castle Hughes and rewarding Naomi Watts. Um, which really quick, that means all three of us did not agree in lead for sure. <laughs> we all had different winners. Um, Hughes is perfect. Um, this was so close to me, and I was not gonna tie this because they are on whole different levels of perfect, and I don't know if I could still. I mean, it's it's. I'm, I'm sweating still just thinking of like <laughs> picking Watts, and but I'm sticking with it. Um, Hughes is perfect. She's beautiful. It's a really deep, moving story. Watts, though, is literally undeniably amazing. There is something about grief and how each human experiences it, and there's this grittiness to grief that I think gets covered up too much in Hollywood, and this was a... um a really disturbingly beautiful way to tackle it. And kudos to Watts. I think this should have been her win. So as a recap, I have Agdashlu and Watts. Yeah, so I had uh, Keisha Castle-Hughes for Whale Rider, and then I had Shireen uh, for House of Sand and Fog. And I had Charlize Theron as my winner in Lead for Monster, and Sheree Agdashlu as my winner for uh, House of Sand and Fog. So... We always ask, was anyone surprised with anyone's picks? Brandon? 
Um, I had a feeling going into this that you would go for Castle Hughes, so um, I was pretty, um, I was surprised, I guess, that you ended up not giving her your win, but I had a feeling she would be pretty high up for you. Um, I gotta say, for you, I, I for you, I thought it would be between Adashlin and Clarkson, to be honest, I, because I know how much you like Patricia Clarkson. Um, lead, I really wasn't sure. I, I thought it would be between Hughes and Theron, and I was right there. Uh, B, honestly, I had no idea what to expect of you. Um, <laughs> I was really intrigued with what you come up with. Um, so I got, gotta say, for you, I had no expectations, if I'm being honest. Because I did not know. <laughs> That's fine. That's cool. That's cool. <laughs> I, I like to be mysterious in that way. Heard that, heard that. And B, before we head out, um, would you like to plug anything and where can people find you? Um, so if you are interested in finding out more about um, what I do, you can head over to intheirownleague.com. Um, currently, we're doing the top 30 um, best actresses of the last decade. So we're going down, um, like looking at all different um performances that they've done so uh we've got uh a whole range on there we've got brie larson jennifer lawrence um we've got um um melissa mccarthy's on there so the list is like really uh varied in in terms of who who we're looking at so um that's if you want more information on on that then you just go check us out or, and you can find us on Twitter as well at their league so and we have a podcast I should mention this we only just started <laughs> the podcast but we do have it we're on our fourth episode so yeah that's pretty exciting I don't know what else to say it's really hard trying to plug yourself <laughs> how how about your personal Twitter that you use for B oh yeah I get, yeah you can just find me at the film B that's B just the the letter B, and um, yeah, follow me. I mean, I just tweet. What do I tweet about? Random stuff, I guess. Sometimes <laughs> I sometimes I tweet about movies. It's exciting. Or why playing with Lego is fine. If you want to play with Lego. <laughs> really quick, the whole time talking with you, you sound so much like Sarah um, Sarah Millican. The comedian from the UK, and it's oh, really? so enjoyable. Yes, it's so <laughs> enjoyable. Thank you so oh. much for this treat. Oh, thanks. Um, <laughs> uh, that's the first time that I've ever been compared to her, so that's kind of cool. Hilarious. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I can't say I'm as funny, uh, unfortunately. Well, it's okay. You have that's a natural it. charm to you. Mm. Well, thank you. That's really sweet. I feel so loved right now. <laughs> All right. Well, Queens, uh, we've had a guest on every episode this season, and next week it'll be back to Brandon and I. So it'll be a, a weird change-up in a way for you guys listening. Um, it's back to the old school style for a couple of episodes, and then we'll have guests again later this season. So on the count of three, everybody, we will say a goodbye. Ready? One, two, three. Bye. See you later. Bye.